How are the ladies going? They alive? You sound a bit quieter this morning. You're a bit tired. Is the ladies quieter? Tired? Did you want to share anything? My sweetheart? My love? My butter possum? Just so you know, he's exactly like that at home. He's not putting that on. <laughs> we got together last night. Uh, Chris and I thought it's about time we we did a women's event. We, we thought we'd have about 25 people. We had over 55 here last night. And it was really awesome. We played games. And, you know, the incredible thing is we had people from the community who don't even believe in God, <laughs> who don't would never walk inside a church and at the end of it they're going, I can't believe we're in a church and we had so much fun. And, and I said to them, it's because it's not about religion. It's not about that. It's about people. It's about you, you. It was such an incredible time. And the best thing of all, the best thing of all, can I have Nigel standing and um, I'm having a mental blank. <laughs> Brian and Don was, no, not Don. Oh, my goodness. Bill. And David, you need to stand. Bill, David, and Ben. Everyone look at these awesome people. These and give them a clap because <laughs> these wonderful men, you can sit down now, they waited on us, they did the dishes, they collected the plates, they met our every need, and they were incredible, and it made such a big difference because even though it was a really simple event, it was lots of work and we had the best time. So if you missed out, stay tuned. We might do something like that again. Yeah. Awesome. It was a good night, wasn't it, boys? Yeah. Yeah. We had a good time. You would have got on your seats um, some of these. We don't usually put them on the seats, but we did today because we're on the back page. The poor church. So promoting us and uh, telling the, uh, the movement across or right across the movement, what we're doing and what we're about. So just thought you might like to have a read of it. Not during my sermon, though. <laughs> you can wait till you take it home and read it at the end. And, uh, and uh, there's plenty to go around. There's plenty out in the foyer as well. Wanted to just bring a bit of a, uh, an encouragement and a testimony to everyone. We have our prayer wall over there. And um, many people put prayer needs up all the time. Often people from Pop-Up Kitchen and different programs, Gig and so forth, they put their needs up there and we're praying for them. And uh, we also started our 40 days of prayer before Easter. And one of our young people, a uh, young man by the name of Gleb, uh, was basically homeless for a period of time. And he put up on the wall that he would find accommodation uh, somewhere permanent for him to live. And you know what? Last week he moved into his new place. <laughs> so he has share accommodation uh, with, with uh, another couple of people and it's just fantastic. It's been a battle for him for a little while now to find permanent accommodation, but he has it. So please keep praying for him. And pray that it keeps working and his job keeps going well because he's an amazing young man. And uh, we love Gleb and uh, he's a part of our family. So, yeah, get behind him and support him. Amen? Awesome. Yeah, it's really good. Let's pray and we'll get straight into the Word. Lord God, I thank you for your Word. 
I thank you that you speak to us, that you encourage us, but most significantly, you transform us into your, the likeness of your son. And I pray that today's word would help us on that journey to become more like Jesus. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, over the last few months, we've been talking about grace and truth. Who's been enjoying that? It's been really great for me personally because it's reminded me of what really matters, what really counts for us as Christians as, and as followers of Jesus. But it raised for me a really important question at the end of the, the uh, series is how does grace and truth affect our everyday lives? Just recently, I caught up with someone who's not a Christian and we're having a chat and they were very derogatory towards Christians. They didn't have many positive words towards Christians. Because one of the things they said to me was, Christians are meant to be all about love. And, uh, but they said, for me, most of the Christians that I know don't love people, but they love criticizing and pulling down people that aren't like them. And I thought that was pretty sad. But that was their experience. And as I walked away from that conversation, it really got me thinking about how much we as Christians actually live out our faith in a way that it honors the grace and truth that we've received. During our 40 days of prayer, this became really apparent to me. And uh, I'm going to give full disclosure here. But sometimes as... I was reading our readings for our 40 days of prayer. Who enjoyed that? Who's still doing it? Who hasn't finished the full 40 days yet? That's all right. I'm not either. I'll admit to it. I'm still catching up. Missed a few days here or there. But um, full disclosure, I'd be reading these chapters one a day, and I'd come to certain parts, and I'd go, oh, yeah, I know this bit. I've read it before. So I'd just skim over because, oh, yeah, I know what God's trying to say there. Anyone relate to that? Anyone? <laughs> Sometimes you're reading the Bible and you just go, oh, oh, yeah, I've read this bit before. I don't need to read it again. But the funny thing is, as we were doing that 40 days of readings, I started to discover that a similar theme started to occur over and over again. And so I might have skipped a certain passage in one book or one chapter, but then all of a sudden, there it is again. And there it is again. And I all of a sudden I'd read different writers as well, different authors, whether it was Peter or Paul or James, but I'd read it and they would be highlighting encouragements to the church on how the church should live and practice their faith. And it became apparent to me that God was wanting to say something. And so today I want to talk to you about the practices of our faith and how we live out the grace and truth we've received. So I want to I'm going to give you a lot of Bible today. Is that all right? But I'm going to show you that from these different authors, the same theme comes through over and over again. So we're going to start, and our key chapter or our key um, passage is from 1 Peter 3, 8 to 11. And this is a new series we're going to start about the practices of faith. And Peter says here, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. 
Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good and search for peace and work to maintain it. So in this passage, Peter gives us a list of practices that we should be putting in place when it comes to our faith. But Peter's not the only one who does it. Paul also does it. And I'll share with you a few scriptures of Paul's, the first one being in Philippians 2. And just recognize the similar theme that's happening. In Philippians 2, 2 to 4, he says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. What did Peter say? Be of one mind. And then having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness, or another translation, in humility of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for, for the interests of others. Then Paul continues this theme in Colossians 3, verses 12 to 15. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. What did Peter say? Be tender-hearted. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let peace, let the peace of God rule your hearts. What did Peter say? Search for peace and work to maintain it. P Paul says, and let the peace of God rule your hearts. That tells me he's saying, let God's peace direct you and guide you and lead you to where you should go and what you should do. To which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians, and these are all part of our readings over the last 40 days. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling, the calling what God has called us to do, with which you were called, with all lowliness, there's that word again, humility and gentleness, whether it's tender-hearted gen gentleness and with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Endeavouring to keep, what? The unity, the one accord of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's Peter and Paul. Let's give you another apostle, James. This is a bit longer a passage and it goes into a bit more detail, but James is saying the same kind of thing. In James 3, verses 13 to 18. 
says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it, what's it, prove it by living an honourable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving. That word peace again. Peace, loving, gentle at all times, tender-hearted, as Peter said, and willing to yield to others, putting others before yourself. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Now these passages are full of truth, but sometimes they could be passages that we just glance over. And we just go, oh yeah, we're called to do good. We're called to be united. We're called to, to be humble. We're called to bring peace. Yeah, that's what Christians are called to do. Isn't that nice? Isn't that lovely? But we tend to easily become complacent when reading this and think, of course that's what Christians should do. But herein lies the problem. And this is my question to us. Are we actually doing good? Or are we just paying lip service to what God is asking us to do? Are we actually doing what God is asking us to do? Because these things don't just happen. They take work. They take effort. They take a conscious decision. So the question is, is God's word really transforming the way we do life? See, this theme of doing good is really important. If it wasn't important, why would God repeat it over and over again in the epistles to the early church? To me, God is trying to get a message across. And it's different authors, whether it's Paul or Peter or James. And these guys were very different men. And that sometimes they even had problems with each other. Paul had problems with Peter at some points. And so why would they carry this common theme unless it was what God would want us to understand? And even as these passages say, God is wanting to remind us of the calling he has called us to. What's that mean? The calling is what he has called us or the way of life that he has called us to as his children or as followers of Jesus. It's not just one writer, it's writer after writer after writer. And so I believe God is wanting to remind us of the type of lives he has called us to live. It's obvious, it's here, it's plain. He's called us to do good. He's called us to live, live lives that honour others above ourselves. 
He's called us to live lives where we're careful how we speak. The type of words that come from our mouth is really important. He's also called us to seek peace and to bring peace to the world we live in. These are the things that we've been called to do and these are the things that should matter to us most because they are the things that God has asked us to follow and to do. You see, these, these things that I've, we've read are the things that should describe us as Christians. If I was to explain it in, the, in a simple way that we could understand, these are the things that describe or should describe Christian culture. Isn't that right? We love the word culture. I was really excited on Friday night. The youth had an Italian night. <laughs> Being Italian, that excited me. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think the main theme of that night was? And what do you think the main theme of Italian culture? You think Italian culture. What is the thing that comes to your mind? Food. Is that right? I didn't have to ask. That was just simple. Food. Nonna was here slaving her guts out, cooking for the young kids, but they were very grateful. Two nonnas, Nonna Maria and Nonna Christina, and uh, they were cooking away for them. And But when you talk Italian culture, you know they have a passion for food. They love food, and they eat it, and they share it, and family and food is what it's all about. So I'd, I ask you that question really simply, and you give me the answer straight. It's straightforward. If I ask you the question, what is Christian culture, or maybe not you guys, but if I went out into the world like I was talking to that non-Christian person and asked them, what do you say Christian culture is? Sadly, many of them say things like, oh, Christians, it's all about what they don't do. Oh, yeah, Christians, they don't smoke, they don't do drugs, they don't swear, they don't have sex before marriage, they don't agree with gay marriage, they don't do this, they don't do that. Isn't that right? And it's almost like, oh, yeah, Christians, they're the fun police. They're the ones who don't know how to have fun and ha live life. And, and that's the reality of what they see and hear. But to me, when I read these passages, I, I think that Christian culture should be about what we actually do, not by what we don't do. That we are doing good things that we are sh being united and in one accord, that we are loving others more than we love ourselves, that we are bringing peace wherever we go. And we're not speaking words that are, are pulling people down, but we're speaking words that lift people up. God wants our culture to be one that is grounded in love, unity, and peace. And the common elements that we are called to practice, I want to share with you now, and they're going to be what, what we're going to be talking about over the next few months. But we're going to go through element by element. But these are the, the as I broke down um, that one Peter passage, these are the things that are common to all Christianity. And you notice none of them are about stuff we don't do. It's all about what we should be doing. And this is our challenge. Will we take up the challenge to practice our faith as the Bible calls us to. You see, the eight practices of the Christian faith, and number one is to be of one mind, one accord, 
and striving for unity. That's the practice of the Christian faith. That we as a family and we as a church, not just here in this body, but even across the body, how, what, a, what a sad state of affairs it is when churches don't connect with other churches. When churches aren't talking to each other, when churches are, are focusing on their differences rather than what they have in common. We're not practicing the faith that God has called us to, that we would be in one accord. That number two, we would sympathize with each other and bear with one another. That we're here to support and, and, and come alongside and help each other on this walk because it's not easy. I'm not saying these practices are easy and like a piece of cake. They're hard work. And that takes all our effort to do them. And so we need to understand when someone isn't doing them as well as they should, come alongside and say, can I help you? Can I support you? Can I be your brother? A and brings us to number three, love each other as brothers and sisters. That's a massive topic. Love as God would love us. We've talked about that over the last little while and that we should love each other as God loved us and that he gave his son for us. Be tender-hearted. This is so critical because sometimes as Christians we get a bit jaded. We get a bit, sometimes we don't get our prayers answered like we want them to and so we get a bit hard rather than remain tender-hearted. Keep a humble ch attitude and don't see yourself as more important as anyone else. Don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult. It's all right, Maxie. You'll be okay. Um, number seven, be watchful how you speak and always be thankful. Be thankful for what you have. And the last one there is to search for peace or work to maintain it. God, Jesus came in peace. Jesus cried over Jerusalem and he wept over Jerusalem with compassion because he saw they lacked peace. And he said they need peace. Bring peace to my, to this nation, this city. And this is what God has called us to be, carriers of peace to the world we live in. So all these practices that we read here, all eight, and I'm sure there's more, but I'm sticking to these eight. But all these practices are the fruits of someone who is in a healthy relationship with God. Now let me clarify this, because I, I want to explain what it means to have a healthy relationship with God. But first and foremost, we need to understand that we have a relationship with God because God has given us grace. The first step is that the very fact that we can have a relationship with God is that he invites us and he has done everything needed for us to have a relationship with him. So it's by grace we are saved. Total, number one. So salvation comes by, by God's grace. And then it says through faith. And the faith is our response. Our response to what he's done. We sang an amazing song this morning. We did Easter last week. We understand what salvation is all about. It's God's free gift to mankind. But this is what matters when it comes to us becoming Christians. Now, what tends to happen once we become Christians, once we accept God's amazing grace, 
and we say, God, I want a relationship with you. And he, he says, here it is. It's yours. The problem that we have so often and the problem that's happened in the church for years, and bear with me with this, follow me, you'll hear what I'm, my heart. But sometimes what we've done with our relationship with God is we've dumbed it down to reading your Bible, praying and attending church. And we think that's what a relationship with God is all about. And as m important as all these things are, that sure, reading your Bible and praying and, and attending church is important to your relationship with God. I'm not saying that's not the case. But what I want you to understand is that doing those things mean nothing if our everyday lives don't reflect who we are in relationship with. Do you hear me? We can read our Bible all we like. We can pray all we like. We can come to church all we like. But if our 24-7, 365 days of the year life don't reflect who we are in relationship with, then that's all pointless. It has to transform the way we do life every day. All these passages make it really clear. You've got that list behind us. These passages show us what a relationship with God looks like in our everyday lives. When we are living in a healthy, strong relationship with God, these practices are being exhibited in our life. I would go as far to say that living our life like this is the actual substance that we are in a relationship with God. See, when we do good and we practice all these things that are listed here, that is the evidence of a relationship with God. Let me give you a practical example of this, just to help you out, to get what I'm saying. Who, um, who reckons they came to church clean this morning? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, who had a shower this morning before coming to church? Don't have to put up your hand, it's okay. You had a shower. Who brushed their teeth? So who would be surprised if you were sitting next to someone this morning and they surreptitiously, anyone understand what that means? Carefully, secretly passed your mint and said, oh, here you go, have one of these. And you're like, what, what? What are you saying? My breath doesn't smell like roses? Or minty fresh. And then you might think, oh no, oh my goodness, I forgot to brush my teeth this morning. I was so busy chasing kids everywhere, I was doing all of that, that I actually forgot to do one of my basic practices, which is brush my teeth every morning. Because the truth is, most of us want to be clean because it's socially acceptable, isn't that right? So we get up every morning, we wash, we don't go to the our dirty clothes washing basket and grab the dirtiest clothes we can find and put them on do we no we go to the cupboard we find something that's been washed ironed matt is that true look there's no wonder you got no one sitting next to you <laughs> but the reality is we want to be clean but to be clean we need to follow a practice of personal hygiene isn't that right let me let's take this a bit deeper bit of practical teaching here. Anyone married here? You meant to say that with joy and happiness. 
Is anyone married here? Yes, we love being married. I, I've got this ring on my finger, and when this ring got put on my finger, my life changed. I can remember it's near tw 29 years this year. 29 years we got married. 29, I remember the day. It was one of the happiest days of my life. And I remember Julie said I couldn't, she couldn't stop smiling on that day because she had gotten a hold of one of the most wonderful men in the world. And her life has been a blessing ever since. Yeah. But, you know, we had a wedding ceremony. We committed vows to each other for life. And then we had a reception. We had a good meal. And, you know, at the end of the reception, I didn't go to Julie. Hey, Julie, it's been a great day, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been. Well, I'm going to head off now. I'm going to take my mum home. We're going to go home. I might give you a call tomorrow. And uh, maybe we can catch up sometime during the week. That'd be cool. No way. I tell you what, as soon as that meal was finished and the speeches are done, I was eager to get my beautiful wife and get out of that place and get to the hotel. I was raring to go. That was, that was the fact. That's the reality of it. I wanted to get out of there and start my new life. And an <laughs> amazing new life. That's the truth. I, th and the thing is, my life was different from that point on. It was changed. It was transformed. And we catch up with people getting married all the time, and we talk, and we tell them, understand, your life will be different. You, will, you are no longer single anymore. And that's a good thing. But it also requires you to live your life now in a way that honors your partner and your marriage. If you want to have a successful marriage, you need to live your life in a way that honours the person you have made a commitment to. That's the reality. I can't do things that I used to do as a single man because I have this ring on my finger. Am I upset about that? No, because my w life is so much better now. So blessed. A and But there are things that I have to do practically to maintain my marriage and to keep my marriage healthy. One thing is if I'm, I, I can't just go and decide I'm going to go out to dinner with anyone I want uh, and not tell Julie. That if I'm not going to be home for dinner, I need to call her and say, look, I've had something come up, I'm not going to be home for dinner. Because if I don't call her and she's cooked dinner, I'm going to be in big, big trouble. Be I probably should not come home at all. If that's the case, you know my wife, you know how <laughs> tough she is. <laughs> but on a more serious note, the fact is I need to pay close attention to my wife's welfare and our the welfare of our marriage. And that means I need to sh do whatever I can to show her that she is the most important thing to me in the world. That's the reality of a good marriage and sometimes I do that well but other times I need a good kick up the bum and get brought back on to track because like passing a mint to someone with bad breath I'm not doing it quite as well as I should and I need a reminder that I need to pick up my game 
and do a better job. Does that make sense? This is exactly the same when we become Christians. When we accept God's amazing grace and truth, we enjoy all the benefits. We get salvation. We have eternal life. We, we have complete and utter forgiveness. We have sanctification, justification, all the creations. We have them all. We have all this stuff. We are set free. We are made whole in Jesus. We, are, we become everything that God has called us to be. And God makes a commitment to us to never leave us nor forsake us. But we need to understand that it's not just a one-way street. Enjoying all those benefits of salvation require a responsibility on our part. Our responsibility is to live our lives in a way that honour the grace and truth we have received. And God makes it really clear what this kind of life looks like. We have it listed up here. The practices, the things that we have to practice daily to honour the grace and truth we have received. James says it this way in James 2, faith without works is dead. Another way you could describe that is that it's our actions that reflect our belief. You can say you believe God till the cows come home. And James even says even the devil believes God. But it's our actions. It's the way we live our life that show us who we believe in, who we are in relationship with. We need to be, our lives need to be different because we are in a relationship with God. And these practices here are what God encourages us to follow to be effective followers of Jesus. Now, I, I strongly believe that if we follow those practices I had listed there, if we make every effort to keep unity and keep peace and be tender-hearted and, and not insult for insult and evil for evil, not do those things, but we chase after what God wants from us, I believe, I strongly believe that when tough times come, and I believe they'll come, the truth is we will all struggle with hard times, that these are the things that will hold us and keep us, and not just keep us, but help us overcome those tough times. These are the things that matter. And for us as a church, and for the church throughout the world, guess what? Times are only going to get tougher. Christianity is not going to be the most popular religion or faith going around. There are going to come persecutions. And this church, the churches that these apostles were writing to were churches in persecution that were getting attacked and were getting martyred and, and all sorts of difficult persecution. But they were still being encouraged to keep the unity, to love each other like brothers and sisters, to bring peace. Even when people persecute you, be people of peace. This is what God has called us to. And we will stand and overcome when we follow his command and we do what he has called us to. I want to finish with one last scripture. It's in 2 Peter 1-5, to and it sums it up perfectly. It says, for this very reason. Now, if you read the, the previous verses, the verses are, Peter's talking about the gift that God has given us, the amazing gift of salvation, everything, 
that he has given us all his promises. He has given us all these things. And for this, because he has given us all these things, for this very reason, he says, make every effort. That's you and me. He's telling us to make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Doesn't that sound like all the practices that were listed up there? And he's saying to us, make every effort to add these things to your faith. Be diligent about it. Another version says, to work hard at it. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from what? Being ineffective and unproductive. Who wants to be effective and productive? Then our job is to make every effort to add these things. Because if we're going to do and be all that God has called us to be, that's our job, to make every effort to honour the grace and truth we have received. Here's the exciting thing, is that we don't have to do it alone. If you were trying to do all this stuff on your own, it would be really difficult and probably impossible. But here's the exciting thing, we have a body. God has placed us in his body so that we can support each other and help each other pass each other a mint every so often and say, hey, you need to tidy up this area a bit. You're lagging. You're struggling. Can I come alongside and help you and bear it with you? We don't have to do it alone. So I want everyone to bow your heads in prayer. Take a moment to do an inventory of your own life. Maybe consider how you're going in those practices. Maybe the answers aren't easy. Maybe the answers are tough, but we have a loving, forgiving Father. All you have to do is say, God, I'm sorry. Help me live according to the way you want me to. Why don't you take a moment to reflect? You know, often we can ask for a response at a time like this, but I don't really feel to do that today. I really feel this is a personal thing and uh, you it's pretty clear whether we're doing this or not and I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, but I do want to encourage you to take a step and make a step to say, God, help me to put these things as a priority in my life. Because so often we get distracted by so much stuff. But let me say this. If the stuff you're getting distracted with doesn't encourage you to do all these things, then run away from it at 100 miles an hour. If, it cause, if it's telling you to have conflict and to 
to bring division, then don't be a part of it. Run away from it because God wants to call us to unity and peace and love. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're saying to us today. God, we hear it and we ask that you would help us live it out. These things aren't always easy. Life sometimes gets the better of us and we get distracted. But God, let this day be a day where we make a fresh commitment to living and practicing our faith the way you've called us to practice it. A faith that it is shown in unity and love and peace and uplifting language, tenderheartedness, humility, thankfulness. Let our lives reflect that sort of culture that the world will see and know that you are our God and that we are your disciples. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.